It is Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 74 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching each week with the former Cy Young Award winner, the five-time world champ David Cohn, the research ace James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle. We have producer Dan Rourke always with us for this ride. And two weeks from now, we will be seeing pitchers and catchers arriving to their respective campsites so uh, I think that was a, a pretty good time, guys, to look at some of the big pitching improvements of the offseason. We're going to tackle that. We're going to touch on a couple of teams from the American League that should make some some noise as far as playoff contention goes based on maybe their, their track record or what they did in 2022. We're going to have some Yankee talk later as well. But David, you are getting ready for the Super Bowl again. Congrats, my friend. The Chiefs, uh, they they... Probably are a win away from entering the conversation of whether like they're a dynasty in 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 sports these days. I feel like uh, like the NFL could probably be the one sport right now that you could have like a dynasty built in because of the quarterback. Obviously, you got you got Patrick Mahomes there. What do you think about that, guys? Well, it is interesting. I mean, when you just being a Chiefs fan, you know, everything else aside, you know, whatever opinions you have, football expertise, it's just been a really entertaining five years to be a Chiefs fan. I mean, the type of brand of football that they play day in and day out on any given Sunday, it's just really exciting to watch. And a lot of that is Mahomes. A lot of it is Andy Reid and the play calling and the type of football that they play. But just Talking to all my buddies back home, my family, my brother. I mean, they just, you couldn't have asked to be more entertained over the last five years than if you're a Chiefs fan. Anywhere, anywhere in the NFL, the most entertaining football has definitely been played in Kansas City. It's been great. And a lot of times, you know, rooting, finding a rooting interest in games that don't involve your favorite team. I'll often find myself going for a team that, you know, maybe hasn't won in a while or whatever. I, I'm not getting tired of the Chiefs. I always just, find myself falling into rooting for Mahomes and Reed and the chiefs anyway. So it's been wildly entertaining and uh, cheers to Coney on, on your chiefs. Yeah. You have, you have a head coach and you have a quarterback that are really easy to root for. I think that's the, the big key there. Um, you, you have like a, a, a group chat with people back home when, when you guys are watching the chiefs, how, how what's it like communicating with, with friends over this team? Uh, they, uh, they are over the moon, you know, that the uh, the level of interest in this team obviously has just done nothing but grow over the last several years. But for me, it's about rem- remembering and this, I say this about baseball, too, when a special event happens, you know, I threw a perfect game at Yankee Stadium or won some World Series championships. It really brings me back to watching games with my father, who's no longer with us. So it's really for the family standpoint. That's what I think about. It's you know, I, I'll talk to my brother or my sister or both my brothers. And that's, a, that's the first thing we always talk about is, you know, my father passed away almost a year ago to the, to the day. And uh, you know, that, that's what I think about all the games I got to watch with him and those memories that, that make it much bigger than just the game itself. I bet that's what a lot of fans who watched you with the Yankees dynasty probably felt that's, that's probably something that resonates uh, with them as well. Uh, we're going to get to uh, our topics here this week, but uh, we'll start it off with the opener. David, what do you have out of the shoot? Well, I mean, in baseball this year, there's so much anticipation. You know, the winds of change. You know, every, we've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, the rules changes that are coming up, so interesting. How What kind of an impact that's going to have. We've covered it. The pitch clock right at the top of the list. 
Games are going to be shorter this year, I think we know. But also on the ownership side, Washington Nationals still up for sale, uh, up against uh, the Baltimore Orioles and the television contract snafu there they have there. that may, They may be slowing that potential deal down. But I thought it was interesting that Artie Moreno pulled out. I mean, there's a lot of interest in the in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. A lot of owners uh, that, that uh, it's a very desirable franchise. And at the last minute, and not for lack of interest, he said, you know what, I... I'm not going to do this. He, he pulled it back. He's going to stay uh, the owner of the Angels. How that impacts the Shohei Otani negotiations or potential trade or lack of trade or what what happens with this future is a big story for me. And it's a really important franchise. And we tend to concentrate on the Dodgers a lot, and rightly so. They are the Los Angeles Dodgers. But the Angels are a pretty important franchise in Los Angeles, and they have – uh, just an incredible superstar like we've never seen right in the middle of this ownership. And what happens with him and that team is really important for the, for, for the game of baseball. Yeah. Shohei Otani's next move, whether it's a trade or how he approaches free agency, that was already going to be probably the foremost storyline in major league baseball this season, how this adds to that or how it may dictate it over the course of the season is an interesting wrinkle. And yeah, it's so desirable from people who want to get into that ownership circle, because like you mentioned, it is LA, it's the second biggest market. And from, from what I was reading, like there's no desire for the rest of the Moreno family to, to keep this going when uh, Artie Moreno, uh, you know, decides to either, eventually sell the team or or passes on like I don't think there's interest from the rest of his family to continue this operation so it'll be interesting to see now that he changed his mind pulled back if there's going to be a different way of operating as he leads this organization uh moving forward so so along the the changing topic I I think you had a handful of teams look to improve obviously this offseason I think think we're slowly getting away from having like a visible third of the league tanking and you still have your your handful of teams but I think that the number of teams has gone down so improvements I think outweighed parts being stripped um what I want to do here guys I want to know what you think in terms of which pitching units around the game have improved themselves the most this offseason and when I talk about pitching units I mean like for example like the Brewers starting rotation that that's one that probably can't be included because they're already really strong as is they didn't need to make improvements so like for an example maybe like Brewers starting rotation Dodgers bullpen I want I want your three most improved units this offseason so we'll go one by one here what do you have uh James let's start with you Okay, I'll uh, I'll start it off. So uh, my number one uh, choice for this cool topic there, uh, Shaq, I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers rotation. Uh, sixth worst ERA in the major leagues last year at 4.63. They pick up three additions into the starting rotation via free agency. Jacob deGrom, not much uh, to say about him. He could very well be the best pitch for pitch pitcher in baseball. Nathan Evaldi, a solid above average starting pitcher who can stabilize the rotation and Andrew Heaney who did a 180. Some people might just remember him from his disastrous tenure with the Yankees when he had an ERA over seven. Well, it was a 310 ERA with the Dodgers. They join Martin Perez who had a really good season last year 
and John Gray. So that top five is very much improved. So you going? Uh, my, are you going top unit first, or are you going like? Oh, the, yeah, that was the worst. Was that your top? That one? was my yeah. That was my number one. All right, you uh, emptied the holster yeah. there with the Texas. Sorry, range. I should. I, no, I should have gone three, two, one. All good. All good. <laughs> um, so then up next, I'll go uh, Red Sox bullpen. Uh, they had the fifth worst ERA <laughs> in the majors last year. Kenley Jansen, uh, he is maybe not the world beating closer that he was in his prime, but he's still good. Uh, the ERA went up to three, three, eight but still a great strikeout rate, good walk rate, despite a few more fly balls. Chris Martin is really underrated. He had a one, four, six ERA down the stretch with Dodgers. Good strikeout rate. His walk rate was 2%, which was the lowest of any big league pitcher who threw 50 innings last year. And they just made an interesting deal, uh, sending Matt Barnes to Miami and they get back Richard Blyer, a ground ball machine. So a lefty who could thrive in Boston, as long as he keeps the ball on the ground, uh, they got Joely Rodriguez too, but I think Jansen, Martin, and Blyer are good pieces. It's not going to make them the best bullpen in the league, but I think they got some much needed improvement there. And lastly, might be a little bit of cheating because Tyler Glass now was already there, but he's healthy. I'm going to go with the Rays rotation. I also think Zach Eflin is a good pickup, even if it is more for the back of the rotation than the front. I like the Rays there too. So I'll go Texas rotation. Boston bullpen, Tampa rotation. Very good. I mean, it's 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 kind of a combination, right? When you talk about okay, who do who do we think is going to do the best? And uh, you know, getting injuries back, maybe some rookie call ups, or is it just based on free agency signing how you improve the team? And certainly, you're, I agree with with James one hundred percent with the Texas Rangers uh, in that rotation. I mean, when you had three new names there with the Grom Heaney and then uh, Nathan Avaldi, I mean, that's a huge overhaul for the Rangers and a team that I think, according to their Pythagorean record, uh, certainly underachieved last year. So they are, I think everybody's candidate to kind of maybe make the playoffs to go from being 20 games under 500 to maybe making the playoffs is a huge jump. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's possible though, because of these moves they've made uh, another, you know, another under the radar, uh, and I, maybe I'm cheating a little bit, but I got to go up to Seattle because you're going to get a full season of Luis Castillo. What a great trade they had last year. Uh, everybody wanted him. The Yankees wanted him. He came through it and just a big time frontline starter. I think he established himself as being healthy again. And then you, you throw him in with Logan Gilbert, George Kirby's not a rookie anymore. Robbie Ray is going to bounce back, I think, and be the Robbie Ray was two years ago. And Marco Gonzalez is your fifth. Pretty good. And then you look at that bullpen, Seawald and Munoz at the end. I mean, even though they haven't added a lot, uh, I think just the fact they have Luis Castillo for a full year and the overall depth of that pitching staff really, to me, makes them something to watch. And then uh, another under-the-radar one, and I think much needed, too, the Philly bullpen. And, and the moves they made there, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, I just like the way Philly's gone about their business. Dave Dombrowski is a favorite for a long time. Uh, you know, he was, he's kind of maligned over his career as everywhere he goes, he kind of blows up the minor leagues, tries to win and then leaves an organization in shambles. Well, the Phillies have great prospects coming up. Andrew Painter might be the best 19 year old pitcher on the planet right now. He was already in double a last year. So maybe he gets that jump this year. Maybe he helps their rotation. But I think when you can add Jose Alvarado, Matt Stram and a bounce back candidate, Craig Kimbrell. I think the Philly bullpen is something to watch right now. And then that team overall on the upswing, really exciting team. I think the, the Philly success last year is a team that might inspire. 
other teams that were potentially tanking to see, hey, wait a minute, uh, expanded playoffs. They get if, if you hang around 500, you can get into the, the into the postseason, and then anything can happen in postseason. You can get a big big payoff. Even though Philly lost the World Series, it still was a hugely successful year for them, and they parlayed that into you know what, uh, we're in it to win it now. So watch out for the Phillies. Was that was, was that three? Is Texas, Mariners, Texas, well, Texas, okay. yeah, Texas, Seattle, and Philly. Philly's okay, bullpen. Yeah. All right. I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to, uh, it's funny. Cause like the idea for this topic was the, the Red Sox trade of Matt Barnes with Richard Blyer. And I'm like, I love, yeah, I loved that move with, with the Red Sox adding Blyer to their bullpen. Um, but I, I want to, I want to try and go with three different ones. Um, so first one, Man, people may look at this as a stretch. They may think like, what are you talking about? Because the Giants did lose Carlos Rodon from their starting rotation. But I think when you still have a guy like Logan Webb in the fold, you you have uh, a staff that usually does more with less. I think they made two shrewd additions between adding Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling to the rotation. They seemed like at the time this offseason, like bargain deals. If you go back a year ago during the, during the lockout and people waiting for the lockout to end. So moves can be made like Sean Manaya was the number one desirable pitching target. He had a, he had a, a step back last year with the Padres, but take everything into account between the late start, the lockout switching teams, stuff like that. I'm expecting a bounce back from a guy like Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling's pretty stable as well. I like the stability that they've built. So that's an under the radar pick that I'm going to be keeping my eye on, uh, eye on. Could be wrong, but I like it a lot. And then I'm going back to back because neither of you uh, took either of these units. It's the only unit that I, or the only team that I had both of their units on my list, and that's the Mets. So tell me which way to start, whatever. Mets bullpen. I really like the moves they made there. Obviously, they re-signed Edwin Diaz, but they've established a really strong bridge to Diaz now between adding uh, David Robertson, Brooks Raley. I thought that was a, a terrific add for them from the left side of the mound, and then obviously re-signing Adam Adovino. I think they've really built a strong bridge to get to Diaz in the very back end of some of those games. And then the rotation, look, we know they lost Jacob DeGrom, but he made what, like 25 to 33% of the starts that Justin Verlander made, the guy they replaced him with, the Cy Young winner from the American League last year. So you had Verlander with Max Scherzer. The, the biggest question that the Mets have with their starting rotation right now is which one of those two is going to be starting on opening day. That's a pretty good problem to have. And adding Kode Senga needs to see what he's about. I love the Jose Quintana addition as well. You have Cookie Carrasco at the back end there. I think the Mets rotation upgraded itself from a, a pretty solid one in 2022. So I like both of those units for the Mets. But yeah, I had I had the Red Sox on my list. Obviously, I had the Rangers on my list. Like the Rangers starting rotation. I don't think any team went from like barren to formidable or even more than formidable the way that the Texas Rangers have had this offseason. So I think uh, if you want to take that one team, declare them winners, I think all of us would be in agreement. It's probably the Texas Rangers, right? Yeah, well, just their whole revamp of the rotation, which is exactly what they needed too, I think. So I, I, that's probably why it resonates more is because, you know, the, you can go out and get three starting pitchers. It's uh, for a team that had a big splash last offseason, you know, in the whole middle infield with – 
you know, a new second baseman and, and, and a new shortstop, uh, a multi-year deal. So yes, uh, it, it was Johnny on the spot in terms of the move. So that, to me, that, that makes it kind of stand out a little bit more. Yeah. Some of the other teams, some of the other units that, that I had on, on my list, the twins rotation, uh, Yankees rotation as well. So, um, but yeah, much of our picks were, were common. Like I thought about the Phillies bullpen very high on the Boston bullpen. So, um, and, and the, the race Boston bullpen from you. Yeah, no, <laughs> Hey, I, I like, I think this is a, a cool activity here. Um, but you, James had, had the Rays pitching staff, the other starting rotation in there. I think it's like a matter of health for them as well. And they made news last week, giving out extensions to three players, uh, thus avoiding arbitration. Two of those players are pitchers though. Jeffrey Springs had a really strong 2022. People don't realize he's kind of, I don't want to say old, but he's, he's not in his like early to mid twenties as you would expect. So he had a chance to cash in and he received an extension. Pete Fairbanks, who's one of like, uh, you know, a, a long time presence in the race bullpen at this point compared to how they shuffle guys in and out of the bullpen, he gets paid as well. So Fairbanks and Springs locked up with everyone now healthy though, focusing on this raise rotation, how would you assess the Rays' starting staff within the American League? It looks like Zach Eflin's going to get a chance to start too, even though he had some success obviously last year in the bullpen uh, with the Phillies down the stretch. So uh, the top two are as good as anybody, right? In terms of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, I nowadays every pitch is evaluated. Uh, Eno Saris. Uh, talks about stuff plus and the rankings and we've talked about it on the podcast here and as far as stuff plus goes the righty and lefty combination of McClanahan and glass now might be as good as anybody in the game Uh, you name any other two starters at the top of anybody's rotation in terms of how the ball comes out of their hands the combination of velocity and and movement and the quality of the pitches Uh, I think they're as good as anybody the top two there and they have depth now and you know I think the race have always said and and it's Kevin Cash is a great manager, and he's always talked about, yes, we use the opener strategy, but we use that opener strategy because we had to, not because we really wanted to. We we were short. We didn't have the overall depth. Uh, he said all along, hey, we, I'd love to have five starters to run out there for six or seven innings, uh, and we, we would do that strategy, but we didn't have that. That's why we utilize the opener strategy. So. Yeah, that's that's what I see. I see them as uh, okay. Hey, we we can do a more traditional starting rotation now because we have the bodies, we have the depth, we have the quality, and when you have the top of the rotation and guys that can eat up innings potentially because of their stuff, boy, that that's going to make their bullpen even more formidable and less prone to getting worn out down the stretch. So it's going to be interesting to see. But yes, the Rays are are a dangerous team. Their pitching is as good as anybody at the top of the rotation. I probably put them in the top three in the American league uh, rotation wise. You probably could have guessed that considering where I had them in the last segment, but uh, Coney, you mentioned the, the more traditional rotation. They kind of had that a bit last year with McClanahan Springs, Rasmussen and Corey Kluber all making 25 plus starts. And the fifth spot was a bit of a revolving door, but back to Jeffrey Springs, this guy is really good. And because he only threw uh, about 135 innings he was a little bit under the radar I've been banging the drum about lowering the the possibly lowering the innings threshold if we had a 130 inning threshold for qualifying lists he would have been sixth in the league in ERA because he had just a 2.46 mark which would have been sixth in the American League among those 
with 130 innings, a great strikeout rate, and uh, another great find uh, by Tampa Bay. David mentioned Zach Eflin's going to have a chance to start. He's going to be like the number five starter for Tampa Bay. You have you have Glassnow, McClanahan, Rasmussen, Springs, and then Eflin. That's really good. People need to remember what the Rays were before uh, the last uh, couple of seasons when when health played a part in how their their pitching came about, especially with Glassnow going down uh, with with Tommy John. But he's making his way back. He's going to be fully healthy for the start of opening day deviating away from the opener like where do we see the future of the opener here do you think it's completely extinct or what no i don't think it's extinct i think there's always going to be injuries there's always going to be an opportunity arise to rather than 20 years ago call up your next best starter from triple a that you can do it in-house because you have extra extra pitchers on your roster nowadays. You usually carry a couple extra pitchers in the bullpen nowadays compared to 20 years ago. So I, it's still a viable strategy in a pinch uh, as, as, rather than have to make a roster move. So uh, yeah, it, well, it remains to be seen. I, I, it's sort of like uh, cyclical, right? Contact hitters uh, all of a sudden are in vogue now again after the three, two out, out three, true outcome uh, phase of the game for, for several years. So maybe this is another phase where, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a copycat sport where every, every team, every team looks for success and tries to copy it. So, you know, maybe starting pitchers are going to come back in vogue now, certainly at the top, they are as, as judged by the contracts that they're, they're commanding. Uh, so yeah, that's how the industry feels about the top starters. As far as, uh, you know, filling out your rotation on the fourth and fifth spot, I still see the opener as a viable strategy here and there. But it's not one, it's not as popular as it once was five years ago. I think it's definitely not going away. David, you hit the nail on the head before. It's not about trying to reinvent the wheel. It's is this an improvement over our other options? The Rays pushed the opener in 2019 and, and beyond because they didn't have the starters. If you have the starters, Great. You just have here are five studs that we can just roll out every fifth day. Fantastic. The issue is what about your fifth starter? Is your fifth starter really good enough to be treated like a number one? Would you manage your ace the same way you would a minor league call up? Or would you try and, and finesse their innings a little more? It's a good way to bring in young pitchers who might not be ready to go 180 or 200 innings, but maybe they can go 100 innings or 120 as the bulk guy after an opener. One of my bigger predictions for the 2023 season is that the Rays, not the Blue Jays, are going to be the biggest threat to the Yankees in the American League East. So I think they're healthy. They are back to being the Rays. Uh, feel like they're a team that welcomes all the smoke around the American League, and uh, and, and teams better be ready for it. Let's move on to uh, another team in the American League East because the Orioles – actually acquired they made this trade i think the day we put out our last episode last week so literally hours uh away from uh, nailing this trade and getting and actually having it in our last episode but such is life uh the orioles acquired cole irvin from the a's late last week he's inserted into the baltimore starting rotation the orioles they have calculative leadership within its uh baseball operations department Many people after uh, them winning or having a winning season in 2022, they thought that they were going to be way more active in free agency this offseason. Why do you think that after a very successful 2022, 
the Orioles were not more aggressive in free agency? It's hard to say. I mean, <clears throat> the ownership group obviously has done done themselves no favors with the way they've handled this offseason, in particular, you know, the most recent press conference where, uh, you know, Angelo's kind of berated one of the local writers who was, was a great guy, didn't deserve that treatment. So that was, that was a misfire, obviously um, very defensive in terms of, of answering any kind of questions about the future or decision-making or finances. Um, just despite as James, James and I were talking before about, you know, Angelo's talked about, uh, you know, they're going to open the books. We'll show you everything. We're going to be uh, forthright with everything. Nothing, nothing as of yet. So why they do what they do is really a big question. They do have a really good farm system though. So if you want to stand pat for now and say, Hey, you know what? We're waiting on the kids. We made great progress last year. We have more coming. Grayson Rodriguez is a friend of our, of our show here. He's been on, uh, I, I can't wait to see him pitch in the big leagues. He's a legitimate three to four pitch plus pitcher, meaning four above average pitches. So that's just a rarity. So maybe you could say that, Hey, we've got some guys coming. We're waiting on them. That's a legitimate strategy. They have probably the best farm system in the game going right now and, and help is on the way and they're on the right track. I really uh, admire their manager, Brandon Hyde. I think he's done a great job there. It's so rare for a guy that, that, is part of a tanking organization that gets a chance to actually stay around and enjoy the good times. And it looks like he's going to be one of the few managers that weathered the storm and is actually going to, going to be around for, for some really interesting times. And, and if anybody deserves it, he does. Mike Elias had been hinting that this off season was going to be time for liftoff. I think ownership really dropped the ball here. The additions that the Orioles made in free agency, Kyle Gibson, Michael Givens, and Adam Frazier after the great positive vibes that you had of Orioles baseball in 2022, I feel like you really needed to get that second win to push things going. And I, this is not it. Um, John Angelos had that uh, bizarre exchange with Dan Connolly of the athletic at the Martin Luther King day event on January 16th. And he pledged, he invited all the writers saying next week, I will show you the financials of the Orioles. I'll show you everything you want to know. It is January 31st when we're recording this. This is going to drop on February 1st. I do not think uh, anything will change then. We have not seen any of the books. I don't think we ever will. And this Orioles team, they have a payroll of 63 million, one of the lowest in baseball. It's also lower than they had in 1998. If you look at how the financials of the game have changed and for the Orioles, they have a lower payroll than they had a quarter of a century ago. That's a joke. And I think this is a real missed opportunity because they had a chance to be, well, let's go back to the Cubs in 2014. They're an 89 loss team. They have good position players on the come up, but they still went out and got John Lester and people sort of scratched their heads and say, hmm, maybe they're not ready yet. Well, he was there. He helped push them in 2015. He was a huge part of the 2016 championship team. Maybe the Orioles should have been further in on somebody like a Carlos Rodon who could have sped up their rebuild a little more. If this feel like the, feels like the right time for them to maybe overpay to get that one guy in their clubhouse to kind of set the tone and show this the, these younger uh, guys that are, that are looked at as the future cornerstones for the next great window of Orioles baseball, show them the way, show them how to 
go out and win games. I think this felt like that timeline, like James was talking about. Also, Michael Elias is a smart guy. I don't think he's going to make that quote without thinking that there was going to be a certain plan in place for the off season. So if you go, you know, you ask behind closed doors, if people are going to reveal things to you, I really feel like something had to have happened between ownership and what the Orioles baseball operations department was planning for this off season to kind of deviate and really not make too many moves sit idle while they see some of these big free agent ships uh, pass them by. So we'll, we'll see what happens here in 2023 with this Baltimore club. News made in the uh, in the video game world, guys, earlier this week. Uh, Miami's Jazz Chisholm was revealed as the cover athlete for this year's version of MLB The Show. Uh, no cover athlete over the age of 26 has graced the cover for this video game since 2018. So let me ask you this. If you had to pick a pitcher, 26 and younger, to be on the cover of MLB The Show... Which pitcher are you going to go with? James, I'll defer to you. I went first for the <laughs> for the improved pitching unit, so I'll go last this time. You guys <laughs> they, go. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you ready, Shaq? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we've mentioned his name before already here, and uh, he's going to be 26 years old in April. So currently 25 years old as, as we record this podcast. But the left-hander from Tampa Bay, Shane McClanahan, right now for me – the year he had last year, 194 strikeouts, only 38 walks, a true power left-hander. I really think we haven't even seen the best of him yet. So if you're looking for somebody who's already kind of established, but yet still under 26 or 26 or under and left-handed, uh, Shane McClanahan's your guy. I like that. You what about that? you, James? All right, let me go. go. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this pick is – Perhaps a year too early, but I'm going to go with it nonetheless. Um, I go with Spencer Strider. Remarkable rookie season, strikeout machine. What do we love with pitchers? We love the strikeouts. Um, one of the brightest young arms that we saw in 2022. I think all of us are in agreement that he's only going to get better. Young guy uh, a, coming off a, a team that is looked at as one of the model franchises right now in terms of how it's run. I'd go with Spencer Strider as my cover athlete, 24 years of age. Another good pick. I'm going to go with Alec Manoa, who had a great sophomore season with the Blue Jays. First all-star appearance, third in the Cy Young balloting, and he's got some swag to him. So he's, he's an exciting personality and a hell of a pitcher. Uh, he just turned 25 a couple weeks ago. So he gets in under the wire and looking at this, this little exercise we had, there's a lot of great young starting pitchers out there and pitchers in general. So, you know, I was also thinking of Tristan McKenzie another another mm -hmm. guy uh, that, that, that could have made the cut here, or you can go into the bullpen with Emmanuel class a or something like that. So there's uh, so much great young talent in the game. It's yeah. fantastic to see. And more on the way, you know, we yeah. mentioned, mentioned uh, Grayson Rodriguez coming up with the Orioles this year. Right. He probably would have been there last year. This 19 year old Andrew Painter too, with the Phillies, watch out. He was already in double a last year. I mean, he's moving fast. There was talks of, of maybe even calling him up to the big leagues last September with the Phillies had a need and, and he's 19, he's 19 years old. So uh, th this kid's got it. The stuff is off the charts. 
watch out for Andrew Painter on, on the way too. So you're looking for young arms, 26 and under, how about 20 years old and under? Yeah. <laughs> you got a, you got Julio Arias who actually makes the cut too. He's 26. So this yeah. was a, this was a tough one to make a choice for, but yeah, like Alec Manoa in terms of like the marketing check boxes, I think he checks them all off. So um, there's, I don't think there's a, a bad choice here, guys. Very nice. But uh, yeah, Chaz, Chaz Chisholm is the, uh, is the cover athlete for this year's version of MLB, the show. Shohei Otani was the cover athlete last year since like 2018, when this game really had a resurgence, they haven't had a pitcher on the cover outside of Otani. So uh, we'll, we'll look for that next pitcher coming up here in the future. All right, guys, let's get to some Yankees talk as we close out this episode and we spent some time on certain pitching units earlier in the show. I am wondering, as we get closer to spring training and we move past some hints, some rumors that maybe they're still looking for an outside addition to their bullpen, what are the biggest questions when it comes to the bullpen for the New York Yankees? Well, James, I just I think it's right at the end. You know, it's the pecking order. The overall depth of the bullpen is really the strength. And you have, uh, you know, just amazing arms from Loisaga, Tommy Canely now back on board, Michael King healthy again, huge addition, but probably more of a multi-inning guy. You know, uh, Magic Wandy Peralta had a remarkable year last year, and, and certainly Clay Holmes is your closer as of now. But what happens if Clay Holmes struggles? Uh, you know, how does that pecking order work out? Who's going to be, who's going to help you close out games, I guess, is the one question that, that the Yankees would have if, if they, if they hit a bump in the road, uh, they, they have capable arms, they have power arms. So I'm sure it could be covered, but you know, right now, I think a little bit of the way Clay Holmes struggled last year is kind of in the back of your mind a little bit and wondering, you know, if there's some injuries or if he struggles a little bit now, how, how does that work out? How does that work at the end of the games? Health, health, health. Uh, I'm with David on, you know, the strength in numbers and many hands make light work and all that. I think the health issue is, is key, whether it's Holmes, whether it's Marinaccio, how does Michael King come back all the way down the line? But because they have such great talent back there, I'm not worried if Clay Holmes has a setback because then Jonathan Loisica can step up. And when you have, when you're talking about I mean, we haven't even mentioned Wandy Peralta, who's been one of the better relievers in the American League over the last two years combined. So you look at a depth chart here. We got Holmes, Loisica, Peralta, Trevino, Tommy Canley, another health question mark, but he could uh, bounce back in his, in his uh, next stint with the Yankees, Marinaccio. So there's a lot of great arms out there, and it'll sort itself out as long as you have enough guys posting as healthy pitchers. Yeah, I'm on the health kick with both of you. I think the answers to their questions lie within their depth. They have great depth. But, you know, the biggest questions, like what is Clay Holmes in, in 2023? We're going to find out. Some of the same health questions that James just rattled off. Like how much can Tommy Canley theoretically give you? Like what can his work rate be? Um, what can Wandy Peralta's work rate be after uh, essentially a career year? In 2022, I'm pretty sure he's going to be pitching in the World Baseball Classic as well. How does that tournament kind of affect how much they treat their bullpen guys right out of the gate in this season uh, to start the season? Ron Marinaccio, same thing. Where's Clark Schmidt factor in? Is he going to be better served in the rotation or is he more looked at as a bullpen piece at this point? And uh, I mean, again, more health questions. What will Michael King look like out of the gate following uh, a broken 
elbow. Um, seems like the the news has been only encouraging thus far, which is amazing. I mean, there is there is doubt that he would be ready for opening day, and we kind of learned over the last couple of weeks that he is on track to be out available out of that bullpen uh, by opening day. So all the questions just revolve around health. I think you have mo- guys that were way more than capable to get these jobs done at a dominant rate at that. But uh, but the answers will rely within their depth in terms of any questions that they may have. So I'm wondering how good is the depth really? Like, are they stronger now on paper than they were this time last year? You know, I, to me, the, the overall depth of the starting rotation, to me, is a little bit of a question mark because of the trades they made last year. There's going to be three former Yankee minor leaguers that are going to be in rotations and, and on other teams because of the trades they made. Was Nesky with the Cubs, Waldachuk and J.P. Sears with the A's. Though That was your depth, your AAA depth, in case you needed arms. Frankie Montas goes down. Now you've got Clark Schmidt. Now, beyond that, you know, where's your depth in AAA this year, I think, because the Yankees did trade from that surplus of depth last year. That's left them a little bit short, theoretically speaking. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what what uh, who's next in line and how those guys perform in AAA. But to me, that's probably the biggest uh, thing I'm looking at in spring training. Okay, how's that? How, the second five starting pitchers. You know, the, the top 10 starting pitchers, that's what I always look at. We know who the top four are. We know Frankie Montas is going to miss a month. We know Clark Smith is probably going to be the guy that's right there or potentially a, a starter in waiting. I'm looking at the next four or five guys. You know, that, that's the question mark that I would look at. And I, I'm really interested to see in spring training for the Yankees who they have, what some of their young prospects look like that have now replaced the three guys that I mentioned before that are now gone. I think they are better on paper than they were going into the season because there were other question marks last year that got answered in the affirmative. So the Yankees, you know, they had the number three bullpen ERA in the majors last year, and they always sorted out in the, in the pen, you know, they've had great bullpens for decades now. And it's not all just because of Mariano Rivera, because if you look at, you know, team relief ERA since 2014, the first year post Mariano, the Yankees are still third in the majors behind the Dodgers and the guardians. So they always have strength in numbers and really strong bullpens. To get to Coney's point, part of it is, well, all right, Clark Schmidt, if he isn't starting for you early in the season with Frankie Montas on the shelf, well, that only strengthens your bullpen. So it makes a strength even stronger. But as far as the depth goes, and I feel like I say this every other week, teams need not five, not seven. You're talking, you're, like you said, Coney, Who's your top 10 starters? Because the average team used 13 starting pitchers last year. And of those extra eight outside of your top five, they average 38 starts for the season. So you're getting more than a full rotation's worth of starts. More than a fifth of your games in a season are being started by pitchers who are outside your top five in starts. So you need depth in the starting rotation. Before we close out here, like think think about that what James said moments ago. When was really like the last time that if you're a Yankee fan, you needed to worry about the bullpen or like the Yankee bullpen did not give you headaches or Aja, like make you go through what the Phillies 
we're going through the last several years. Like the the bullpen has never really been a headache. I can't I can't pick apart a year out of this timeline here that I'm thinking where it was such a such an issue. Like you have to go back pick if if I'm missing one, please, gentlemen, point it out to me. But like I think you have to go back to like the early 90s here. It's, it's a good point. It's a valid point, without a doubt. I mean, uh, it has been really, if you think about it overall, I mean, a great run uh, for the Yankees. You know, they've been able to fill in the blanks right and left and come up with answers. Um, to my point earlier, you know, the Yankees lost some depth, obviously, in the potential backups in the rotation. Mm-hmm. A couple of young names to watch if you're in spring training. Johnny Brito is now on the 40-man roster, and Randy Vasquez, a couple of young pitchers that have kind of stepped up in the absence of – the, the names I mentioned before, Ken Waldachuk and J.P. Sears are in Oakland's rotation right now as part of the Montas trade. And then uh, Wesneski's now with the Cubs uh, or the Scott Efros trade. So that was, those are three starters. And all three of those guys are going to be in big league rotations uh, on other teams. So next in line, we'll see. I'm anxious to see those guys. I know Johnny Brito's got nice stuff. He's got a nice arm. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him in spring training. But, you know, to your point, Shaq, you're right. I mean, you, you have to go back a long way to sort of look, look for some of those answers. And, uh, you know, the Yankees probably don't get enough credit for the type of run they've had over the last 20 years, no losing seasons. And you go back to Derek Jeter's career, um, you know, that one stat on Derek Jeter about uh, he, he, every, almost every game he ever played in his career was a meaningful game. Mm-hmm. It was just a handful of games in Derek Jeter's career that he played where it had no significance where the Yankees were out of the playoffs in 2008, like a handful, just a handful of games that didn't, that were meaningless. And when you compare that to any other organization anywhere in any time frame, it, it is just remarkable to think about the Yankees playing meaningful games year in and year out and always in it. But one of the bigger questions, I guess, for this team is sneakily like, what is, yeah, what is the starting pitching depth? What, what is, what's it going to be like for their pitching staff as a whole? But for the most part, you do not have to worry about the bullpen for the New York Yankees. So, um, good questions, I think, for this, uh, this unit going into spring training. We'll see how, how it all sorts out regarding health. And depth, I think, that, like I said, the depth is going to answer some of those questions for the Yankees. All right, next week, it's going to be Super Bowl week. David's going to have his face painted, probably. <laughs> going to have a big red Patrick Mahomes jersey on as well for the YouTube stream. So that will do it for this episode. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you do not miss a thing of what we are streaming each and every week here on Toe in the Slab. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, and for our great producer, Dan Work, this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.